Welcome to Tea for Two, the podcast for women in golf and the men who support them. With your host, Karen Harding. Welcome. Our guest today is something of a groundbreaker, and I mean literally. Geraldine O'Callaghan is one of the few female greenkeepers in Australia. While her start in the industry might have been somewhat of a surprise to her at the time, it is no surprise to anyone who knows her that she has gone on to become a leader in her field and an inspiration for others to follow. Jerry is a proud country girl from the northern part of the state of Victoria who feels her connection to the outdoors and to nature is a good part of why she does what she does and why she loves it. But there's more to her story than just that, and today we're going to hear from her what's taken her from the paddocks of Kahuna to the fairways of Royal Melbourne and Sandringham Golf Links, the home of the new Australian Golf Centre. Jerry, hello. Hi there, Karen. How are you? Thanks for having me. Oh, thanks for being here. Jerry, you've got some exciting news to share. Would you like to tell us what that is? Sure can, Karen. Um, you know, I'm very proud to say this week I was appointed the superintendent of the Sandringham Golf Links. As you mentioned, the new home of Australian Golf of Excellence. So, yes, yeah, very exciting times ahead. Yes, it's a fabulous appointment and very well earned, Jerry. Really fabulous news. So, I've done a little bit of research on this, Jerry, and I believe you're not only the first female to attain a superintendent position in Victoria, but one of only four throughout Australia. We'll talk a little bit more about your journey in your chosen field a little later, but how exciting is it to have reached such a pinnacle? Yes, uh, thanks, Karen. You know, listening to those uh, facts there, it's uh, it's very exciting. It's um, I feel very very humbled and very proud of the fact that uh, yeah, forging a, a certainly a, a leadership for women in the industry and 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 you know moving forward, it's a uh, it's a very exciting opportunity. And uh, yeah, to to have quite a few uh, ladies now up and coming through, it's um, yeah, I think it's a good future ahead. I think so too. It's very promising, isn't it? What are the sorts of things you'll be looking to address in the new role, Jerry? Yeah, I think, Karen, um, now sort of the full-on construction stage uh, of the last two and a half years is finished uh, under the guidance of Nick Staff there. I'm hoping that my knowledge of the game and my passion for the game will uh, certainly come through in the playing surfaces and also the, you know, the impression of the course. Uh, I'm very much about the experience of coming to play the golf course and I really hope that my input to the course will certainly um, make everyone's experience enjoyable when they come to play Sandy Golf Links. Oh, I'm sure that it will. When do you officially move from foreman to superintendent? We'll be starting the position on the uh, 8th of November. Mm. This is uh, news is hot off the presses, Jerry. Certainly is. Well, everyone who knows you will be super excited by this and so proud of you. It's just such a boost, not only for you, but for women in greenkeeping generally and throughout the golf industry, really. So the warmest of congratulations to you. Thank you very much, Karen. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very humbling, as I said earlier, and I'm a huge believer in it takes a village and I've had tremendous support all throughout my journey uh, from my family and my friends and, yeah, to, to make them proud as, as well as myself. And, yeah, it's, uh, it's a very, very, I'm very happy and very excited to, to lead the uh, team there at Sandy Golf Links and uh, see what the future brings. I think the future will bring wonderful things. Uh, now, your 10-year-old self wasn't playing golf, of course, let alone forging frontiers in greenkeeping. What do you think she would make of what you're doing now? Uh, I think my 10-year-old self would be pretty proud of where I've got to. Uh, the then 1,000-people town population uh, certainly has grown a bit now, but uh, I'd like to think that she would look up to me and think, oh, wow, she's making it in the big city. Uh, for a little country kid, that 
that's you know, one of the best things ever for having all the people to be able to look up to. Mm, and with good reason, I think. Just tell us briefly how you came to get into golf in the first place, Jerry, because you weren't from a golfing family, were you? No, no, none of my uh, family played golf. My dad was a good little rover in footy and my mum was a tennis player down at the local tennis club. But um, certainly uh, golf came to me a bit later. As a kid, you know, I represented the school in javelin and, and softball and a few other hand-eye coordination sports. And we we're actually at the golf course uh, at the end of end of season, uh, end of, sorry, school year trip. Uh, we went for a trip out to the golf club and uh, Mr. and Mrs. Fred and Marion Smith, who were icons of uh, Kahuna and, and the golf scene up there, uh, they were the mentors for the day. And uh, they, they said to me, oh, you got a pretty natural swing and, you know, you hit it pretty good. And they said, oh, come on back down to uh, the club, you know, next time you want to have a hit and we'll, we'll take you out for a hit. And uh, it all just went from there. And I, I remember I was um, playing netball uh, at the time and uh, I sprained my ankle and I thought, oh, well, golf's pretty uh, easy on the old body and you can play that for a long time. So I took golf up and uh, never looked back, playing a junior pennant with uh, myself, one other girl and all the boys. And, yeah, I, I absolutely loved it from there and, and the competition side and, and, and certainly the belonging to a golf club. Mm. So you were at one stage uh, talent identified for the intermediate level training squad for the Victorian state team. So you improved very rapidly, obviously, uh, and you came under the watch of Steve Bann and Dennis McDay, two fine coaches. How did you actually enjoy your time there in the uh, state team squad? I absolutely loved it. There was there was quite a uh, vast uh, diversity of girls. There was some from down Gippsland Way, some from here in the city. And, um, you know, we all got along great. And I, I remember uh, vividly uh, attending the Anglesey Girls Golf Club, um, the Bertaccini. And, um, yeah, we all went to that. And then the next year was when I was uh, in the intermediate squad. And so to travel down to Alwa Park, back then was when where, where the training was held. And um, I remember my mum, yeah, she was pretty nervous driving me down um, to, to come down to Melbourne. So, yeah, we jump in the car and uh, and head down. And, um, yeah, I loved it. It was, it was great. And, and, and Steve and Dennis, um, you know, they're, they're at the top of their game still are now but um yeah it was fantastic and, and the friendships you make um you know they certainly last a lifetime and i think it's great for just, not your golf um but also you as a person when you're around people that you know have the same ability as you and, and have the same drive for the for the sport that you play it certainly makes you a better person and better at whatever sport you choose now you were doing very well up there in we'll call it the bush um and then you were recruited, I think, from the girls at Southern Golf Club and came down here to play Met- Melbourne Metropolitan Pennant. Yes, that's right. We, I was very lucky to represent uh, the Northern Country and the Goulburn Valley in a, at later stage uh, in the country teams, which is a great event for the country girls to come down. And, uh, yes, we were playing um, our division section final at Southern, uh, I think it was back in 1998, and, um, yeah, we actually won that day and, and I really enjoyed the golf course as you do when you win win something. Mm. And um, yeah, Joan Mooney and, and Margaret Scott, who were stalwarts of Pennant at Southern for many, many years, they uh, approached me and said, look, would you like to come down and 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 play Pennant for us next year? And, and Southern's um, traditionally a great recruiter from the country and they love to involve country people and, and that's why I love it there today. But um, yeah, I, I came down... Um, yeah, and represented Southern for two years and before I went off travelling and, and that's the reason I rejoined Southern. I'm quite a loyal person and I went back and, yeah, still had a lot of friends there and, and still play there today. Around this time, uh, things were looking pretty rosy. In your first year there at Southern, you won the Division Two flag, which put you into Division One. Um, but it wasn't all beer and Skittles, of course. Uh, through and around that period, you lost both your parents before you were 22. 
what effect does something as powerful as that have on a person's psyche as well as the plans that you had in place for the future? Yeah, it certainly, um, I guess, put a bit of a dent uh, in my confidence, I guess, and self-esteem. And, you know, I guess as a kid, you always think that you never really have to, or you don't want to have to look after your parents. Um, they're supposed to do that for you, you know, and, and, until for the rest of your life. But, um, yeah, no, certainly I, w- I was on a career path. I, I really wanted to be a commercial pilot. Um, we lived where we lived in Kahuna. We were right in the flight path of Sydney to Melbourne, and I was fascinated by how jumbo jets stayed in the air. So, did all the training and everything of that. And um, yeah, when my mum passed away, it was kind of like, oh, you know, you sort of step back and go, what's what's uh, what's valuable in life, and what what do you really want, you know? And you you think about family. That's very important for me. And yeah, for for a couple of years there, my father was quite ill, and um, so yeah, golf was a great outlet for me. And and again, like I say before, belonging to a golf club, it's like belonging to another family. So uh, I had great support network. Um, so again, yeah, golf was a great outlet for me, and and to win, to be asked to come and play Metropolitan Pennant was certainly a, a, a an achievement. I thought, and then to actually win um, a Division Two final was just amazing. It was at, at Keysborough Golf Club. I remember it quite vividly. A couple, the couple of finals we played in, and there was another lady, Michelle Fumberger, who is an absolute legend up in the north uh, west of the state at Mildura, and um, I remember uh, my. I won my match and that gave us enough points to win. And then Michelle was playing at number one and she absolutely, you know, came home with a, like a roaring train and she won her match. And um, to say that we both loved a beer from being from the country, we certainly <laughs> celebrated long and hard that night. And I remember having the flag uh, wrapped around at both of us and everyone saying, look at the kids from the country. So um, <laughs> yeah, it's it, um, going back to your question. Yeah, it certainly does. I think, make you reevaluate um certainly what what you want out of life and um I'll, I'll never regret the choices that i made to maybe change the direction where i've gone to and and i'm sure we'll speak about it later but um yeah sometimes it takes a little while to find what you want in life and if it's a bit later but you're happy i think it's certainly worth the wait mm. at the end of the day we're all a product of our experiences one way or another aren't we after we your father passed away uh, you travelled the world for six years or so, weren't you? Uh, Were you discovering yourself, do you think, or do you think you were running from painful memories or searching or a bit of of what? Were you just lost? I think, uh, yeah, I certainly uh, didn't never really uh, swept anything under the rug or that, but uh, I certainly think getting away out of the country, out of Australia was uh, was a bit of a soul-searching journey, I guess, and, um, you know, to to go and work. And I've always been a, a person that gives never to have anything in return. And for me to go over to um, America, I went to and worked at a summer camp there. And um, the agency you go through, you put down your three, um, I guess, personal traits that you'd like to to uh, teach the kids. And uh, of course, I thought I'll teach golf. That was number one. And anyway, the number three uh, was about water skiing. We grew up on the Mario course and, and I, I taught the family and I ended up getting employed as a, a water ski instructor. But um, to this day, I still have the, the girls that I had for that very first summer in 2001. They're all getting married and stuff now, and I still have contact with them. And um, for me to go and, and and just make a change in their life, I mean, it's it, it's just fantastic. And there's a great uh, poem that I've once read, and it's it's about you know thousands of starfish on the beach, and this man he just throws one back in, he just keeps throwing one back in. And someone said, you know, you're never going to throw them all back in. He said, but it makes a difference to that one. And and I think that's always resonated with me that. Um, you know, if, if you can inspire one person or you can make someone's day, um, you know, that's certainly a, a goal in my life. 
Mm, there's a very good quote along those lines, isn't there, about I cannot change the world for everyone, but I can change the world for someone. That's correct. When you came back to Melbourne, you were in approximately your late 20s and in need of a job. So what happened then? Yes, well, you know, after travelling for so long and, and um, you know, I came back and forth to home a little bit and eventually thought, oh, I've got to get home and, um, you know, get a real job and, and sort of settle down. And, um, you know, I'd seen friends of mine that, you know, from the from the same little town of Kahuna and, you know, they'd married and had kids and already got a house and I really didn't have anything to, to show for what I'd done but all the experience. And, of course, um, I uh, my, my cousin's husband, um, he was friends with Mark Brayshaw at the time who was at the PGA at Sandhurst. And he said, oh, just give me your resume and, and we'll um, – We'll give it to Mark and see if they've got any opportunities. And um, the funny thing was, Mark Brayshaw's wife also did summer camp in America, and we sat down and had a coffee. And I remember we spoke for an hour, nothing about greenkeeping, nothing about you know me really playing golf, about the about the experiences of me travelling and and what um, myself and and his wife had in common. And I got a phone call about two days later to say, oh look, you know we're, we've got a, a spot if you'd like to come and just you know have a go at it. And I very vividly remember that the first week spending a week on the whippersnipper, we were bunker trimming and um yeah the there was four girls um when once I started at Sandhurst it was actually four girls and it was kind of like a little um you know old wives club we'd get in at Smoko and uh and it was fantastic a bit of bit of gossip here and there and um so yeah so it all kind of went from there I, I was uh, offered an apprenticeship uh an, an adult apprenticeship which is um kind of like the four years of the younger version uh all into one so night school for 12 months and um, went on to study my diploma there from there as well. So I think the um, the opportunity sort of arose from just having a go and, and um, you know, I think drawing on all my experiences, not just from playing golf and, you know, farming and all that, but just, you know, the experiences from around the world to to try and, um, you know, just do the best you can, I think. And, yeah, the opportunity came and, and I knocked the door down. So it was went from there. It's interesting that you say that there were four other girls there at Sandhurst because there really weren't that many girls in greenkeeping at that stage, were there? No, there, there wasn't. And and I've heard stories of, um, you know, there, there's there's a few, there used to be a handful, you know, sort of around Australia, um, probably even around the world. And, and there's a lot more getting into it now, which is fantastic to see. And there's a lot more women's initiatives. But, um, yeah, when, when I first heard that there was the three ladies, um, at, at Sandhurst, it was like, oh wow, I've never, I've never really come across that. You know, you see, you see one or two here and there. So, that, that for me, that was um, also too. They'd all been in in the industry probably two or three years, four years. Um, they'd all done their apprenticeship, and they all spoke very highly of it. And and um, you know, when I when I first came back and and got into the greenkeeping, everybody said to me, oh. It's probably something you know we we thought you'd do at an earlier stage, and um, you know I never really put it two and two together until you know I'd sort of gone through that ten to twelve years of life experience that I went maybe I could do this and 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 maybe I could have a go at it. So, mm. why do you think there have been traditionally so few girls in greenkeeping? Do you think there's been an area, an attitude of perhaps not being welcome, or there are some other factors that have deterred them? What are your thoughts on that? Um, I don't. I don't think it's uh, being unwelcome as such I think it's it's quite physically demanding uh the work and I mean I just love it a because I love golf and I love being outside but um I think too just the um because it has been a male dominated industry for so long that you know the opportunities have always been there but maybe there just hasn't been enough interest in it um and maybe people that um have gone on to sports fields or um you know a lot of people that are sport orientated get into the 
um, in the industry. So I think, um, yeah, there's always that stigma of, oh, you know, they're never good enough or anything like that. And I personally, I mean, this is not everybody, but I personally have always felt if I do my job one and a half times as good as that man, then, you know, I'll get the respect. And and I think that's just, that's certainly come from my father. He was a very hard worker and had a great work ethic. And, and that's just always been my take on it. But um, yeah, I think nowadays, and I think too, with a lot of things in life, it's um, the media, you know, social media and, and, and so much now is certainly broadcast a lot more. So there's probably always been quite a few ladies in the industry, but, um, you know, until yourself and, and people that like to get the message out there and like to promote women that, um, it's certainly a lot easier nowadays, I think, to, um, to get into it. There's certainly a couple of girls that have been influenced to go into it, uh, courtesy of what you've been doing, Jerry. Uh, what would you give as advice to other girls that might be interested in the idea of greenkeeping as a career? Yeah, I think, um, Personally, it's just get out there and have a go. If you if you have an interest in in uh, greenkeeping, and, and I say greenkeeping, but you can say recreational turf. Um, you know, like I know that there's ladies on racetracks and there's ladies on bowling greens because you know that's their their interest in 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 the sport. Um, but yeah, certainly get out there, ask questions, come and see people, and you know, I'm, 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 my door's always open, um, like I always say, and and people know where I am. Um, I've had some great articles written from you, so I think nowadays too that. Um, there's certainly a lot more resources and, and there's a lot more um, articles being written. So I think people just need to do a little bit of research. Um, if you'd really like to get into it, just ask questions. Go to your, if you're a member of a golf club, go and go and ask your superintendent or go and ask your general manager, um, you know, what what you can do for sort of like a prerequisite, I guess. If you want to get into the apprenticeship, is there anything you can study beforehand? Or, um, But yeah, certainly ask questions and and I mean, it doesn't mean if even if you're not part of the golf club, you can always just go. And and uh, I know that a lot of golf clubs are certainly inviting. And you know, if you ever have any questions, you can just go and ask them. Green keeping has now become much more for, than a job for you, hasn't it? It's become a passion. Would you agree with that? Yes, absolutely. Uh, um, I, I believe that you know what you put into something is what you get out of it, and. I certainly love it. Um, I'm very privileged to live on the course here at Royal Melbourne. You know, that's part of my responsibility and the role that I have now at Sandringham Golf Club and previously as the foreman on the East Course. Um, but I certainly do. And 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 I walk the fairways of the night time with, with my wonderful dog. And, you know, you walk around and you just take it all in. And, and for me, it's especially in a member golf club, it's very much what can I do to make the members have that great experience. And, and when it all comes down to it, I'm providing a service for their leisure time. And, you know, for me to be able to provide premium playing surfaces um, for myself to enjoy as well, if I want to go and play golf, but certainly it is, it's been a passion for me and, and I've always liked to do things very well. And so if I walk away at the end of the day, it's very satisfying to know that the 200 people that have played golf at my golf club are going to walk away and go, how good was this? So mm. for me, yes, it's very, very much a passion and, as I say, if you love what you do, it's not a job. Moving to Sandringham from Sandhurst uh, and then after a couple of years going over the road to foreman of the East Course at Royal Melbourne, this was a pretty significant step in your career, wasn't it? Yes, it was. Yes, yeah, so coming from Sandhurst, I had, I had a senior role there and then I applied for the job at um, Sandringham as the assistant superintendent. And I really just wanted to meet Richard Forsyth. He's the guru of greenkeeping in Australia. And mm. um, I, I didn't realise at the time, I, I um, the only piece of information I found out were the, the irrigation technicians we had to come at Sandhurst. They said, 
Now, Richard barracks for Essendon, so do you. So you've got to bring that up in the conversation. So that made its way into the, the interview conversation. But, um, yeah, then when, then when I um, was offered a just a – uh, ground, you know, greenkeeping position at Royal Melbourne to come across. So it's kind of a sideways step, I guess, in in my um, you know career. And and I saw it really as a, a step forward to go places. Mm-hmm. And uh, when I started at Sandringham Golf Club, that was when Royal Melbourne was first leasing it. I never really even dreamt of becoming a Royal Melbourne, you know, coming part of the team over here. So when the opportunity arose, it was just amazing. And again, I remember the day that Richard came over, I was on the um, the old fairway mower and I could see him coming up the fairway and I thought, oh no, what have I done wrong? What's what's happening? And anyway, he comes up and he, he pulled me aside and, you know, whenever you get Richard come up, he says, hop in your cart and you go for a chat with him. You think something's either wrong or I've done something wrong or something, or something's really good. So he said to me, look, you know, there's a position that's come available. It's, it's, um, you know, just as a qualified greenskeeper. And I said, look, I'll take it with both hands. Thanks, Richard. And then, um, yeah, about 18 months later when when I uh, obviously had proven myself to Richard and the team here and, and a position became available as a foreman and here at Royal Melbourne, um, you still it's, it's kind of like going for another job, even though it's an internal promotion. You know, you put your letter in to say what, why you think you should be good and you do the interview and everything. So, yeah, for, for me uh, as a woman and, and to sit in those sort of situations and, and to prove yourself and to to achieve, I guess, uh, the next level, uh, it certainly is is amazing. For me, I sort of came home for the next week and thought, oh, holy moly, like I've just been promoted to a, a very senior role in in the best part of the like golfing mecca of Australia where I am today. It's just it's just amazing. I, I'm very privileged and very honoured to, to work in such an establishment. Well, as you say, you've come full circle in being now back at Sandringham. Um, of course, a lot has changed around the place since you were there the first time, with it now being the home of the Australian Golf Centre. How exciting is it to be a part of that? Oh, it, it's super exciting, Karen. I, I, I think I said about uh, three years ago when, when the project was sort of in, in um, the idea stage and I said, oh, God, that's going to be amazing. When It's going to be chaotic. It's going to be busy. And, you know, I don't, I don't think anyone realises what it's going to be. So for me to um, to be part of it, as you said, I, I remember now, even driving the fairways now, I go, oh, that was the old fourth hole. That was the old sixth hole. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, to see where it's come now and, um, you know, to be part of the reconstruction of the second nine holes was just amazing. I mean, it, it's fantastic and, and don't get me wrong, it's wonderful to work at Royal Melbourne, but, you know, a lot of the time you don't get to construct or you don't get to um, just build something from the ground up. So to to be involved in the shaping of some of the greens, the shaping of the tees and the bunkers and, um, you know, I drive around the course now and I think, oh, yeah, that's that's my little touch on that or, um, you know, like that, that I shape that tee and you, you stand on it when you play it and you think this is fantastic. And I think the next uh, five to six years is very exciting not only for Sandringham, but for golf in general in Australia, because that high performance facility is is amazing. Um, we've got the elite golfers playing. You know, they're pretty much raw Melbourne conditions with the greens. It's the same greens grass and and the beautiful fescue around. So, you know, it's not the longest course. Um, we took took away two two of the fairways to make a state of the art driving range, and um, so the rest of the course has changed a little bit, but it has certainly has that sand belt feel. Uh, some of the holes you could be standing at Commonwealth or Victoria or, or Huntingdale and, you know, it's not easy. There's a lot of strategic bunkering and you can't take driver off every hole or else you'll be, you know, in the tea tree down the end of the dog legs. So, um, yeah, it's very exciting and 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 I think um, there's still a lot of work to do and I think there's a lot of um, conditioning of the course and, and things like that and I'm so excited to be part of it and, and um, you know, 
to say that I was involved in that uh, project is pretty cool. Mm, it certainly is. Uh, some other things have also ramped up in your career this year, winning one of the general managers scholarships for 2021. This is a, a great initiative, this one, encouraging women to learn more about the different areas in golf. Obviously, COVID and the lockdown this year have interfered with some of the planned activities, but how are you enjoying doing that? Yeah, it, it's been fantastic. Um, for me as a golfer as well and, and being a member of a golf club, I've always been um, fascinated by, you know, the business side of, of, of things and, you know, maybe later down the track when um, when the body stops uh, green keeping, then I'll, I'll be able to harness all these skills and and maybe give back to the community in other ways. But um, yeah, for me, it was a, it was certainly a, an opportunity out of the blue. Warwick uh, Hill Rennie, the former uh, general manager at Royal Melbourne, uh, he um, floated the idea with me and said, oh, you know, like this, this would be great. And uh, I applied and again, yeah, just, just put the, put the letter in and thought, oh, well, yeah, it's great to have experience and, and, and do an interview with, um, you know, impromptu questions and that, and, and to actually, um, yeah, be awarded the, 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 uh, scholarship it was again out of this world and and for me it's been great that the training so far has been vast and and very diverse and if one day I can work in a golf club and and um you know whether that's at Sandringham or whether it's you know somewhere else I think um you know I, I don't think you can ever have enough skills and 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 I think I mean I love golf in general so I think eventually that might be the path that I go down in you know five or ten years who knows and you just never know what opportunities come Getting back to your playing the game, Jerry, you didn't play much at all, I think, during your travelling years. Um, but when you came home, you also returned to the game, rejoining Southern. Would you say, on the because of the experiences you'd been through, that you returned with a different mindset than you were before this all unfolded? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, um, you know, some people probably thought that I was a, um, you know, little sport, little brat sometimes when I was on the golf course, if things didn't go my way, I had a, a very competitive streak and I oh, look, I'm very, very competitive still, but you know, nowadays on a Sunday at Southern, we play for a wine and chips. So, and there's a lot of banter and you throw the balls up and off you go. And, um, but yeah, I certainly when I came back, I, I really, I was six years that I think I played two social rounds of golf and I honestly didn't know or think about getting back into the game. And um, like I said, when I first came back, it was a Friday that I had my interview at Sandhurst and I thought, oh, I wonder if they still play pennant on a Friday. And I looked up where Southern was playing and it was actually at Kingston Heath. And I thought, oh, I'll go and see if there's people there that still know me. And, you know, I ended up seeing Carol Besley, who's famous at Southern Golf Club and also through the, the metropolitan golf scene. And um, I, she said to me, oh, come and have a hit, come and have a hit. And I said, oh, I don't know. I just thought I'd, you know, come and say good day. And anyway, lo and behold, I went and played nine holes with her and my good friend Sue and Jackie. And, um, yeah, I was a bit of a hacker and I thought, oh, these girls are going to say, God, Carol, who's this? Who are you bringing back to the golf club? But, yeah, eventually got back into it and um, I really just enjoy it now. And, again, I guess it's mum. You know, me giving back, I love getting involved with pennant. I love getting involved, um, you know, with beginner golf and I'm on the ladies committee now. So giving back a little bit um, with my golf knowledge and all my golf experience. And, and again, just hoping that, you know, we can make golf fun. And, and, you know, we had a great initiative a few years ago at Southern, the light membership where we, you know, we ended up with 115 uh, participants in for 12 months. And then we actually got uh, I think it was 40 um, who continued on to be members. So, and they're still members today. So that was a great initiative. And I know I was reading an article this week about, um, uh, I can't remember where the lady was from, but yeah, she's got a, might have been Peninsula Kingswood. And um, yeah, the, just the initiatives that 
other ladies are making the effort to get ladies in. And if even if you know you get a small percentage stay, it's certainly going to grow the game. Yes, I think you might be referring to Stella Cudgley down at Peninsula Kingswood. Is That's the one. Drawn an incredible number of women in down there. And um, there's there's been women all around the place that have been fantastic for engaging girls, uh, even going back quite a few years. Jean Cassidy, for example, is one that comes to mind. Uh, Jan Jelliff at Victoria. It's been quite, quite a lot. So it's fantastic to see that it's not only still happening, but there's a lot of initiatives going around in engaging more women and girls into golf and then retaining them too. And certainly Southern's always been a part of that as well. So do you think that your more simple attitude, your simple philosophy, just having a game for wine and chips on a Sunday at Southern, do you think that's um, got you playing better than you were before or not? Yeah, I think so. And I think as you get older, you know, like everyone says, as you get older, you get a bit wiser. But, um, yeah, I certainly, I remember as a kid, I used to fade the ball. I won't say slice. I used to fade the ball, uh, I think, because I used to try and belt it. But um, nowadays, yeah, I, I think about harnessing the uh, the power in your swing and I have a bit of, bit of an abbreviated backswing. And as you said, I make it simple, you know, all my pre-shot routines, whether it's uh, full swing or chipping or putting, it's usually two or three words and that's it. You got to, you know, keep everything simple in your head. And um, they quite often say, you know, we've always got 101 things going on in our minds. And um, I would I would say I'm quite a quick player. So I pick my club, I have a practice swing and, you know, within 10 seconds I've hit the ball. So I've always been uh, taught, you know, that last thought has to be positive and you pull the trigger and off it goes and then you can't control it after that. So um, I give myself about 10 steps and get over that shot and then that's it. The next one's got to be better and what, you know, you can't think about what you did wrong on the last one. You just got to then get back into the zone. And, um, you know, I, I, I say I read a lot of articles, but I read a lot of turf uh, magazines, which is sound a bit sad, but, um, you know, I do love my golf and I read a lot and, um, you know, you hear the John Rams and all the, the guys of the, the current era that, you know, they get into that zone and, you know, they, they, it's pretty much as soon as they put that glove back on, whether that's 10 steps from the ball or 20 steps from the ball or, but they get into that zone and then they just hit it and then it's, that's it, it's done. And they walk to the next shot. And I think, um, you know, for me, especially as I said, now I'm getting a bit older, you see some of these young kids coming and they hit it so much further than me. So, um, you know, I, I spent a lot of time on my short game and I've um, you know, spent a fair bit of time on my putting in the last few years to try and just to be consistent. And, and um, yeah, I, I think it's been pretty successful and, and, and I just really enjoy playing now, you know, whether it's with men or women or juniors or if you're a 45 or if you're a scratch, it does not worry me at all. And you hit a good shot, I'm going to say good shot. So, yeah, I'm, I'm, I hope that I'm a pleasure to play with and, yeah, shake your hand at the end and we'll go have a beer. So. Well, fun is really what it is all about at the end of the day, isn't it, really? It um, is. You've got rather a, an impressive amateur resume, Jerry. Uh, I'll just make note of a couple of things here, that you've won the Joan Fisher Plate and the Sorrento Ladies Open. Um, you've been as low as scratch, I think, or were you plus at one point? Uh, it was plus 0.5, so still right. scratch. But, okay. uh, yeah, that was uh, yeah the, la- the last sort of four or five years is um, – has certainly been very consistent for me. And, and yeah, that standout year, as you said, I think it was 2016. Uh, uh, yeah, I was just, yeah, unbelievable. I played, um, I love Metropolitan. That's that's one of my favourite golf courses. And to have any opportunity to go and play there is um, is just amazing. And I, I, I shot an okay, I think it was 77 in the morning. And then, um, yeah, I got to play with uh, some great golfers. And, and I've always considered myself, uh, you know, 
not not as an average golfer compared to a lot of people. And uh, I, I vaguely remember, um, you know, the, the afternoon round, it's 36 holes. And I played with Jess Pickwick, who's an absolute legend of country golf and mm. and now and now a PGA trainee. And, um, you know, like I was playing with her and, and I've always, you know, followed her career a little bit. And, uh, you know, she's won so many events and I'm like, oh my God, I'm getting to walk the fairways with these legends. And, um, you know, I, I was playing really well and I had actually had Carol Besley um, on my on my bag as a caddy and we were just very relaxed and we were going around and ended up shooting 71 in the afternoon, which was one under par. And it was the first time I'd ever shot under par anywhere. And um, Jess Pickwick, her mum was caddying and they were just like, you know, so happy for me. And mm-hmm. Jess said at the end of the round, and I'll never forget this, she said, at some point in the round, you become the spectator because you can't do anything because the other person's just playing that well. You've just got to, you know, bask in their glory. And I've never forgotten that. And I thought, oh God, you know, one of my peers has said that to me. And I was just like, whoa. And um, so yeah, when I when I um when I was presented the trophy, it's quite funny, the top fell off it. And I thought, oh, I've just broken the trophy. But um, you know, that, that, that was a fantastic day. And then and then the day I won at Sorrento. I tell you, Karen, it was the worst conditions ever. Um, I was playing in my group for the day was um, young Amy Leeson, who represents Southern. She's from Ballarat and I reckon she'd be 45 kilos if she was anything. And it was blowing at about 84, 85 kilometres an hour. You could hardly stand up. They were actually watering one of the greens down to hold the balls on the green. And I said to Amy, I'm going to have to stand and hold your feet every time you swing because you're <laughs> going to blow away. And anyway, yeah, didn't didn't shoot, you know, a, a, a great score, but it was good enough to win on the way and, and um, on the day. And again, you know, there was people who I look up to, Joe Charlton, who is just amazing. She's a former member of Metropolitan Golf Club. And to this day, you know, like a, a good friend of mine and, you know, to be able to play golf with people that, you know, you just look up to all your, all your days and every now and then if you have a win, it's just, it's just an amazing feeling. And again, you know, you just, I'm, I'm very honored to, to be able to represent Southern for starters, but also to be able to be eligible to play in these events and, and just to go and meet new people and, and do that sort of thing. And I think that's the great leveler in golf. Doesn't matter how old you are or what your handicap is, you can, you can just pay your money and off you go and you can enjoy your day. Mm. In that respect, golf is definitely the most inclusive of sports, isn't it? As you say, the handicap system allows us to play with anybody. and Very it, much so. Uh, yeah. Um, you've also won five club championships there at Southern, which you've modestly haven't mentioned. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's a pretty, pretty special effort. And, um, you know, like for me, um, yeah, being the club champion, it, it really is – it's, it's something else because, um, you know, for that year, you're the best golfer at the club and at Southern, we still play, um, two rounds of qualifying of stroke and then it goes into match play. And, um, I love match play. I think that's, um, you know, you versus the other person, doesn't matter what score you have and what the conditions are, you're both out there and you've just got to beat her into the hole. And, um, yeah, I've, I've been very, very lucky. I, it's a bit of a funny story. I, I haven't yet this year I think one other year I was able to uh, try and defend my title but um, I would win one and then we'd have a big event maybe a President's Cup or like you know a Ladies Australian Open or something at Royal Melbourne that I'd have to work in the following year so I went three or four years winning one not playing winning one not playing one and and um, so that that's been a bit of a joke around that you know maybe I'm not good enough the next year but um, hopefully this year uh, I can can go back to back from last year but um, Again, I mentioned Carol Besley. Uh, I'm on her tail. She's won 17 club championships at Southern Golf Club. So um, I said to her, I'm up to five, so I'm not too far behind. But um, <laughs> You've again, got her shaking I think, in her boots, I think. 
Absolutely, absolutely. And, and she's such a great friend. I've been privileged enough to win a foursomes, ladies foursomes champion with Chip with her. And um, and that was a great day just to, you know, bask in the in the glory of playing with such a club legend. Um, and, and I've been lucky enough, I, I don't want to sound too modest, but I've been lucky enough to win a club championship at Kahuna where I first started and then and then three at Rich River where I was also a member. And um, yeah, it's, it, it's just amazing to to see your name up in gold letters, uh, up on, on up on the honour boards, to be um, sort of etched in history, it's uh, it's certainly an amazing achievement. I'm wondering whether there was a higher achievement than being part of the victorious Royal Melbourne team in the 2016 Golf Management Victoria Staff Day. <laughs> yeah. Well, mate, maybe a bit more of a highlight was, yeah, how I met Warwick. But, um, you know, I was uh, certainly uh, yeah, chuffed to – Get the uh, get the call up that day. It was myself and uh, Andrea Watson and Aaron Newman and Warwick himself. And uh, Warwick had only really been at the club, I think, about two or three months, and probably didn't have a clue who I was. So um, I get I get the phone call the night before to say, "Oh yeah, this is the, this is the tea time." And oh, and, and by the way, we'd really like if you uh, could bring Warwick. We're both we both live close to the to Q Golf Club, and I know Latrobe it was, and um, you know he he's new here. He doesn't have a car. I went, "Oh." Okay, no problems. And um, so anyway, I, at the time I had a little old uh, Toyota Hilux Ute, a little two-wheel drive, and I thought, oh, no, here we go. So uh, anyway, pulled up to the front front door at um, Royal Melbourne, and I thought, oh, you know, just say, oh, we'll throw your clubs in the back, and I apologise that I was in the Ute. And anyway, Warwick comes out, he pulls his tie off, loosens it and throws it in the car. He said, oh, all right, let's go. And so, um, yeah, Proceeded to uh, take him up to La Trobe Golf Club and, you know, give him a bit of a tour of Melbourne and, you know, never shut up the whole way. And he probably thought, oh, God. But, um, yeah, sh- shot the lights out that day. And I think, um, yeah, Warwick was pretty impressed and we ended up winning the day and, yeah, came back. And, um, yeah, he's been a great, um, you know, encourager and supporter of me ever since. So, yeah, that, that was a lot of fun. And, and um, yeah, I think I'd... I, one of those days that you just think, oh, that's pretty awesome. Mm, it's a good highlight, isn't it? Now, you must have impressed him despite the elderly Hilux Ute, Jerry. Warwick must have. has uh, actually said of you, and I quote, Jerry is not only a great golfer but a valued employee with her work and above all a fantastic person and great fun to be around. That's pretty high praise, isn't it? It is, it is, and, and you know, it, it makes me get a bit emotional sometimes when I hear people say things that about me because um, – yeah, I'd, I'd like to think it's my upbringing and, yeah, my parents and, and, and my family values and, and my, how my brothers and sisters, I guess, treated me. So, yeah, that, that's, it's pretty high honour to have when, when you have your colleagues and your peers talk about you like that. What about some other highlights in the game, Jerry? I know you've had a lot, but, you know, what would you say was a particular highlight, do you think? Oh, a couple that come to mind. I was, um, again, um, very privileged to play at the World Cup at Metropolitan in the Pro-Am day there with... Um, Narelle Porter, who also works at Royal Melbourne, and, and Liz Graham, who's a, who's a ranger here. And, um, you know, we got to play with um, Adrian Otago from Spain, and it was just an amazing day. And, um, you know, it was a it was a Stableford event, and, and Narelle doesn't play much golf. And on one of the par three, she had two for five. And I went, oh, mm, we might be in with a shot here. And Liz, was, Liz, Liz is a, um, you know, teenage handicapper, and she was playing out of her skin. And so I really wasn't, you know, needed off my handicap but anyway we ended up winning the day and I won a nearest the pin and I won two brand new drivers so that was that was that was a fair highlight for me but um I think probably in my golfing life not really competition wise but uh, I was I said to Richard Forsyth in it was the winter of 2015 and I said oh Richard I'm going to take six weeks seven weeks off in the winter of 2017 I thought I'll give him two years notice and 
and that'll be okay. He said, oh, yeah, what, what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to go to England and Scotland and play a bit of golf. And um, it happened to be my 40th birthday year, so I gave myself this trip to England and Scotland. And, Very nice. You know, I went, spent six weeks playing and, and um, you know, seeing family and friends, but just playing golf from dawn to dusk and, you know, from all the way from down near London all the way up to Brewery in Scotland, which is so so north of Scotland. It's just amazing. And then, yeah, a couple of games in Northern Ireland and, yeah, just just one of those trips of a lifetime. And, yeah, spent the two years planning it and, um, yeah, it was just, just amazing. I think uh, I played 504 golf holes in that six week and I um, I do remember, yeah, thinking to myself, gee, that's a lot of golf, but uh, could – Every time I look at the photos, I could tell you a story from every single day and and what mm. what the photo was from. So, yes, that's really a highlight. I think that's really just a special moment in your life, isn't it? And as you say, you just can just relive it whenever you choose, can't you? Absolutely. And and you know, like for me, I, I love Lynx golf. Um, I think it's you know the the weather conditions really play a part in in, in the day that you have, and it they just it was just amazing to go and see there's just a sand dune and they've created this fantastic golf course right on the edge of the ocean. And yeah, just, just amazing to see how raw and, and how, you know, they green keep. I, I spoke to a lot of uh, green keepers and course superintendents over there and yeah, so different to how, you know, we, uh, I guess, work here. We're, I think I always said we're kind of between the UK and America. America do everything to the nth degree. And, you know, the UK, it's kind of like, oh, yeah, that's okay. We won't cut that. We'll cut that. And here in Australia, we do a little bit of both. You know, we try and make it look as natural as possible. But, you know, we still want those fantastic playing surfaces. Uh, I gather from other superintendents that I know that there's a, a more of an emphasis in Australia on plant health rather than using pesticides and that sort of thing. Would you go along with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of people ask me this question, you know, like how long would it take to make a golf course completely organic? And, you know, like it would take a long time. I mean, of course, the expectations of certain golf clubs and and certain, you know, like tournaments and things like that, you do have to use a certain amount of chemicals and fertilisers and, and things like that. And And don't get me wrong, every super would love to be, totally organic that'd be you know that's the way of the future and environmentally friendly um, but I think these days you know everyone has still has uh, some low inputs of of certain chemicals but you know the, the the range of chemicals these days that are so much softer on the environment so much softer on the on the grass species um, it certainly has come a long way and I'm, I mean I've, I say I've only been green keeping for 14 years and it doesn't sound very long because there's been so many people that have done it for their whole entire life and you know like back in the early 80s and stuff it certainly has come a long way since then when you know there was a lot heavier um, for the lack of a better word, chemicals used. So I think nowadays it, it certainly is very front of mind um, to be environmentally friendly, to make sure that our footprint, um, you know, like we talk about footprints all the time now. And so, you know, for our green footprints in, in the future to become um, a lot less, um, you know, hazardous on the environment, I think that certainly is very much front of mind for a lot of superintendents. There's a movement towards what's called rewilding too, isn't there, which is tending to use Indigenous vegetation rather than introduced plants native to around that particular course. I think that's a good move, don't you? Yeah, yeah, certainly is. And, and I know particularly here on the sand belt, um, you know, the native heathlands are very very vibrant and and very well managed and and our uh, horticulturalist here at Royal Melbourne Stewart he's always cultivating and catching seeds and you know regenerating a lot and and we here at Royal Melbourne which I'm assuming that um, a few other courses do we actually burn our heathland so as as you know um, you know the indigenous people in Australia 
some of the seed pods and some of the, the regeneration projects, they can only go ahead when you have such intense heat that they break the seed pods open. And, you know, like for us here, we every now and then we'll, um, we'll get a permit from the council and we'll certain uh, burn certain areas and we cut all the heathland around the golf course to get the fuel and to make it nice and hot. And uh, you burn the certain area and you take it out of play for a few months. And before you know it, you know, there's so many plants that have been regenerated and, and a lot of new ones too, because those seed pods have just opened and spread everywhere. And, you know, it's, it's, it's fascinating to watch um, and to be part of that, certainly, um, you know, going towards the future, like you said, a lot of courses are thinking that and, and they're very much studying what's native to their uh, course because you know, as not many people know, there's such so site specific golf courses, you know, like we here at Royal Melbourne, we're across the road from Victoria and there might be some chemicals or, or plants that we use here that they can't use there because they just don't work. And it's literally 500 metres away. So I think each course, if they had their, you know, the plan of, um, you know, regeneration uh, and and looking towards a future like that certainly is um, is a great cause. And I actually read an article once, there's a lady, uh, I think it's over at the Grange in um, South Australia and she is actually like she does all the out of play areas and regenerates all them with all the native trims back trees and all the, these sorts of things to make sure that all the out of play areas are indigenous species and they're, and they're um, regenerating themselves so it's just, it's just amazing the work that goes on that sometimes we don't hear about but it is all the little two percenters that you know clubs do uh, in the background that makes the experience so much better. I like the sound of what she's doing. Aside from using indigenous uh, vegetation, of course, that's then going to encourage the local creatures, the little insects and and bees and things that are so important to the ecosystem. So this is all part of the sustainability that golf is looking towards, isn't it? Exactly, and 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 you know, like in saying, like the burning process, the the repollination, you know, our bees and our lizards and all, all the the small insects that come from you know your your native wattles and and all your native plants, it's it just becomes this ecosystem. And and here at Royal Melbourne, like we don't have, I don't think there's ever been any snakes. We have a lot of uh, blue tongue lizards, and you know, so you'll be driving around and you see one, and you know, it could be a foot long, and you think, oh, I wonder how old that blue tongue lizard is, and it's just amazing to think that everything survives and. Um, you know, it's all because of, you know, such great coverage and, and, and such great Indigenous species. Now, speaking of fabulous creatures, we cannot <laughs> let you go without mentioning the other great love of your life, which is everybody's favourite boy and the Royal Melbourne mascot, Ronald O'Callaghan. Yeah, he's pretty famous. He's got his own Instagram account, so. He's on Facebook too, isn't he? He is, Yes. <laughs> <laughs> he's um yeah no he's great my my golden retriever he's four and a half now and uh another funny story he kind of just came into my life and I was I was looking at uh at getting a dog and um Craig Anthony who's the superintendent on the east course he's his dog uh, had uh, a litter of pups and I ended up with Ronald so um yeah he, he's certainly been such a breath of fresh air and he's by my side all the time and he certainly got me uh through these lockdown periods but um yeah he, he's a very He's a very lucky boy. He's uh, he gets to ride on the back of the workmen uh, after hours when I go and check irrigation and you know Sandringham uh, during the the growing season when we had hoses going everywhere and that he'd come over and you know he'd get covered in mud because he'd be rolling around in all the water and stuff. But um, no, he, he's he's very well known around the neighbourhood. I think uh, yeah, a lot a lot of people have. Um, they stop and, you know, give him a treat through the fence. And he's um, he's got a couple of lady members. He, Wednesday's his favourite day because it's ladies' day and, you know, quite <laughs> often they come to the back gate and give him a few treats and uh, and through the fence. And um, I'll never forget the first uh, – I, I picked him up in um, 
he was born in the February and I got him in the April and um, the Royal, we weren't in the same division as the Royal Melbourne ladies, but uh, we were playing at Huntingdale and my phone started going off. We'd finished golf and anyway, getting all these photos and anyway, a, a lot of the Royal Melbourne ladies, they were playing on the East course and um, a lot of them finished on by the 14th, which is where I live. And anyway, um, at that stage, I never locked my back gate. And anyway, I was getting all these photos of you know, Heather Brody and Sue Ellery and his Ron in their in their arms. He was only like a little tyke. And, oh. oh, my God, he's so cute. And I said, you got the whole membership in there taking photos <laughs> with the dog. So he was destined to be a superstar from the start. I think he's an influencer. He is very much an influencer. So if you want to follow him, it's Goldie Ron, Goldie underscore Ron and, at Instagram. But um, he, I, uh, I guess you could say I'm one of those um, silly dog parents. I, I speak, uh, you know, thinking what he would speak and everyone loves the comments and they say the comments make it. And, and um, yeah, there's, there's been a few times where, um, you know, I take the putter with me some nights when we go for a walk and everyone, everyone calls him the sheriff of the back paddock out here, the, the eight <laughs> holes here at Royal Melbourne. Cause you know, everyone knows him, all the neighborhood players, you know, run up and say hello. And anyway, I, some nights I take the putter out and he'll lay flat out across the hole. Cause it's like, Mum, we've been standing still for ten minutes. We've got to keep going. Like there's plenty of birds to, to chase, and so yeah, he he's certainly um he's got the life. That's for sure. Oh, he does indeed. He's a very lucky, lucky boy. I think he is. Jerry, you've said that losing your parents made you a stronger person, and I think you've shown throughout your life that you're a very resilient individual, as well as being one of the most positive, happy, dynamic people that I've ever met. You've credited your parents with helping form that in you. But I'm wondering, does being raised in the country contribute to that as well? I think so. I guess I'm a bit biased because, um, yeah, I was born and raised in the country. But I think, um, you know, tapping back into that simplicity uh, when you were a kid, I, I just remember, you know, like, Everyone in the town knows you and, and you're Nancy and Jerry's daughter. So no matter what you do, you know, it's always going to get back to your mum and dad. But um, I think, you know, we were always taught respect, um, you know, honesty, integrity. I think that always comes out. And, and um, you know, it's about looking after each other, especially from a small town. And and um, quite often, um, you know, when I play pennant and and again, like I said before, I'm, I'm pretty easygoing and if I'm playing against you in pennant, yeah, you're my competitor. But, you know, at the end of the day, we'll sit down and we'll have a nice lunch. And, and, and quite often the comment comes that, oh, you, you know, you, you're from the country and you can tell that. And, and for me, that's such a, a high honour because, yeah, I think everyone that comes from the country, uh, we're very welcoming and, and we love to help people. And um, for me, again, I just, yeah, I don't know. You've got to treat people how you want to be treated because, you know, life's too short. And, and um, you know, there's a, a famous quote that I've, just recently read and I think it's quite a good motto and it's you know if you say something to someone you've got to imagine if they died the next day because if that's the last thing you say to someone then how are they going to feel and and for me it's yeah you need to treat people how you want to be treated and and I think that comes through just from the country and you know having the simple life um yeah we we, we were never very rich but we always had what we needed and, and I think I've always been humbled by that that um, you know, you, you make do with what you've got and, and you give back. I think that's, for me, that's the thing. You, I never do anything to have something in return. It's just, you, you just help people. And if that makes their life easier, makes them smile, then, you know, makes them play, have a great game of golf, hmm. then that's all the better for it. Well, I think that's fabulous, Jerry. And, and you live what you say too, I have to say. Thank um, you. What would you say now? Um, to that 10-year-old Jerry, now knowing what you do know now and having lived the journey, what would you say to her about the journey ahead? I would say to her, don't just do everything that everyone else is doing. Mm. Do what you really want to do. 
Um, take every obstacle, take every step that you need to to, to get what you want um, and just try. Give everything a go. I, I mean, I, as a kid in the country, I never thought I'd ever travel the world. Um, and then I ended up, you know, standing in front of the Statue of Liberty taking a selfie. So you just never know where you're going to end up. And, and I think, um, you know, touching back on the country thing, you, you remember where you come from. I've, I've always said you never burn your bridges. Um, someone always knows something. And I was actually in New York and um, the people that I was staying with, they said, oh, we, we knew this guy, he, he came from Echuca. And I went, oh, it's like 20 minutes up the road from where I grew up. And, you know, I'm halfway around the world and someone knows someone from the next town. So, you know, it's, it's just one of those things that people always remember you. So, you know, if you make a good impression, you treat people the way you want to be treated, then I, I just think it's that simple that, you know, you do your best and, and you put your best foot forward. And, and for me, it's always been, I think I tell that 10 year old self, it's the way you carry yourself. If you're not confident and you, you don't know what to say, don't say anything, just, you know, take it all in. And, and I think, um, yeah, be, being a woman in a male dominated industry, just give things a go and, and take every opportunity. If you fail, you learn from it. You ne- you never really, I, I don't like that word fail, but um, yeah, you, you just learn from things. And, and if you can, as I said, make one person's life better, then I think you've done a great job. Well, Jerry, that's fabulous uh, philosophy. And I think, as I say, I think you've lived it exactly as you've described it, really. Uh, it's been just fantastic talking with you today. I've really enjoyed it every minute. We, we're not often lost for a word, you or I, are we? <laughs> no, we're, we're pretty good conversationalists. <laughs> Hopefully we'll be back on the tea in person again soon. Thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure. And and yeah, just everybody enjoy that golf. Thank you for joining us, Jerry. It's been a blast. I hope you've enjoyed hearing Jerry's story as much as I have. She's an amazing life force as well as a pioneer for women greenkeeping in golf. If you've enjoyed this episode, please let fellow golfers know we're here either by word of mouth, sharing a link, or leaving a favorable rating or review. The more people who come to the show, the more visible we can make the stories of women in golf and of the men who support them. If you'd like to have new episodes delivered completely free of charge to your phone as soon as they're available, you can hit the subscribe button next to the T for Two podcast on your phone podcast app. And if you have any questions or have someone in mind whose story you think might be interesting, please feel free to shoot me an email at hello at tfor2.com.au. T for Two is produced on the traditional country of the Bunurong people of the Kulin Nation in Victoria and offers respect to their elders past, present and emerging. I'm really looking forward to catching up with you for our next Tea Time Together. Our next guest is also someone whose story you will enjoy. So look out for that one. Until then, have fun in golf. Thanks for listening to Tea for Two. To check out other episodes and to keep up to date with what's happening in women's golf, please head over to tfor2.com.au. 